Thank you for tuning in to the First Gen Hunter Podcast, the go-to resource for those seeking to establish a foundation in hunting knowledge, skills, and tactics. Happy Thanksgiving, first-gen family. I hope you're gathering around the table today with some of your favorite people. Of course, 2020 has been a real challenge to do some of the things that we love the most, but I hope you're still able to find some things to be thankful for, because there is much to be thankful for. For me, I got all kinds of things I can come up with. Of course, my family, my job, hunting season, of course. But the thing I want to focus on right now is topic relevant, and that is I am thankful for you. Yep, all of you that tune in and follow along and uh, interact, leave those reviews, basically go out of your way to be an encouragement and to make yourself a part of the first gen family. So I am thankful for you. I am also really thankful for hunting season though. I mean, come on, I can't not talk about it and uh, today we're going to take a break from deer hunting we've been trying to focus pretty hard here on deer hunting because that's what most folks are up to right now but we're going to step away from that to one of my other favorite things to do and that is pheasant hunting and we're actually going to talk to a guy who has spent his entire life in the pheasant hunting promised land yep that plains state of South Dakota where the birds are as thick as ticks on a moose's back I don't even know if that's a saying could be a saying it's kind of a cool saying I don't know I think moose have a lot of ticks anyways we're gonna talk to Jeff Boer of Wild Dakota TV now Jeff and his dad have been in outdoor television for a long time and he has all kinds of unique experiences all over the country, not just in South Dakota, but South Dakota, of course, is his favorite place to hunt. And he is for sure a very experienced hunter and a very experienced pheasant hunter. I plan to make a trip up to South Dakota, hopefully more than one, and just get to experience the greatness that I hear about so many times from those who already have had the privilege to go up there. So this episode is filled with all kinds of tips and tricks and advice, things that can be used for hunting pheasants anywhere. But I definitely hope it inspires you to maybe put it on your schedule someday to get up to the promised land of pheasant hunting, South Dakota, to chase roosters yourself. So stick around. Hopefully you can uh, find some time while you're uh, relaxing and chilling on the couch. Maybe put your earbuds in and start listening to episode 29 of the First Gen Hunter podcast. Hey, First Gen Nation, it's great to be back with you. I am solo tonight as far as hosting goes. Uh, Brandon is totally wiped out after a weekend of hunting. Did a couple blood trails. His brother got a nice buck. But you would know all that if you follow The Hunt Fish Life 
on Facebook or Instagram. You'll see all that drama unfold there. And uh, as, for, as for me, it's still just been whitetails, and I feel a little guilty. And I feel guilty because I have not had my dogs out more than twice this year. I have done a little bit of pheasant hunting. You probably remember seeing clear back in September. I did a little squirrel hunting, a little dove hunting, but it has been a year of just having to focus on deer. And part of that is I picked up an extra state tag this year and have been hunting Illinois quite a bit. Uh, so I've been trying to, to fill that, but I am still not able to punch a tag yet this year. You know, of course, that I came close, but, uh, it's just it's been it's been kind of an elusive thing but i'm hope, hoping to turn that around at the end of this week i got a good trip planned to go where my brother jake just tagged out he shot a real nice buck his first buck and his first archery kill and i'm gonna go uh, hunt the same area where he was so hopefully uh i can uh get this get this uh problem fixed here of of having all these uh extra tags laying around um but the reason I bring it up is because it has kept me from pheasant hunting as much as I'd hoped to be this year. And so if I can't pheasant hunt, I figured I'd bring on a pheasant hunting expert. And so I tapped the shoulder of Mr. Jeffrey Boer of Wild Dakota TV. And uh, he's going to tell us what it's like to be a pheasant hunter up in what I call the pheasant hunting promised land of South Dakota. Jeffrey, thank you so much for jumping on the call with me tonight. I think you give me too much credit when you say <laughs> I'm a pheasant hunting professional. Uh, so uh, uh, let's go with enthusiast. Okay, sounds good. Oh, well, you know, I get that I get that reaction a lot when I when I talk about people like this, but I think when I when I throw that title out, I think it is it is an, a deserved title and um and the fact that everyone always always says, "Oh, no, 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 that's not me." I think that shows that I'm interviewing good people because the day when we start calling ourselves experts, right? That's when that's when uh when we probably are no longer an expert, so I, th I, yeah, I think that's, uh, I think that that's a uh, common trait among good people. So I'm happy to hear you say that. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, I tell you what, I'll give you a little bit about myself. Uh, Jeff Boer, that's my name. Uh, grew up, born, raised Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Uh, lifetime Sodak boy. Awesome. Introduced to the outdoors extremely young. Uh, my father was in the outdoors hunting, fishing his whole life, and uh, it didn't take me long to catch the bug and take it where I have today. Um, so we are extremely blessed in the upper Midwest for the number of opportunities we have from Upland Bird, the waterfowl migration, yeah. uh, all of the big game opportunities, and then, you know, even the fishing. Yes. It is, uh, it is, it, I, I think it's God's country. That's it. And that's why I stay here. Yeah. I've, I've seen guys pull out amazing, not just, uh, walleyes, you guys have great walleye fishing up there, but also a uh, pike. Man, I've seen, I've had some friends go up there, and it is just incredible the the quality of the pike fishing. fishing has turned around immensely in the last couple of years. You know, it was the elusive uh, double digit fish that you didn't see for the longest time, and all of a sudden we're starting to see them again. So I'm kind of excited about that and hoping to get to some of those in that first 
that first and laid ice and then someone that they ice out. Sure, sure. Yeah, that's that's uh it's fun to always have something to fill up your calendar, you know. There's um there's always some kind of good outdoor activity to be doing. Now here's kind of a weird question I have for you on outdoor activities. So when I when I uh look at my yearly outdoor calendar, you know, it's kinda like, all right, uh January through March you know, I'm wrapping up deer season and then, uh, and pheasant season, of course, and then it's straight into shed season. And then, you know, come around late April, May, then it's looking for morel mushrooms and then it's trout fishing and all that. But shed season in South Dakota is a little bit different if I'm not mistaken. Isn't it, is it illegal to look on public ground for sheds or take a shed off of public grounds in South Dakota, or do no, I have that there, there's, I don't want you to quote me on this because I think you could check into it. As far as I'm aware, picking up a shed is uh, is picking up a shed. However, picking up an animal that has died, the state would own that. So that would be antlers still attached to the skull. Okay. And technically you're not supposed to pick that up. Sure, sure. That's, that's how I understand that law. Okay, it must have been somewhere else. Because there's tons of guys that all go out on public property and 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 pick up sheds, and I'll see pictures of it all. Um, but it's, yeah, as far as I'm aware, if it's attached to the skull, you're not technically supposed to be picked it up. Okay, okay, that's uh, that's good to hear. I must have been thinking of another state there that had had that rule, but that's good to know because there's not only whitetail antlers that can be found in South Dakota, but you guys have a pretty good uh, mule deer population in the western part of the state. Isn't that correct? Yeah, we just wrapped up our West River season last weekend. Me and one of my my better friends, we and his kid, we spent the better part of a week chasing. Uh, we like to call it the the, the desert donkeys. The okay, yeah. out in in the in the driest part of the state where it is it is on the verge of what we call a desert. Yeah. It's always it's always warmer there, hotter or colder in the winter. It's uh, and there's very very little moisture, but uh, so yeah, there's that. And then uh, also, don't forget about the the wapiti, the the elk. Oh, We've okay. actually run across a few elk sheds too. Oh, that's awesome. So do you do you think that elk are, and maybe you know, is is the state doing any kind of initiative to try and really promote an elk herd? in south dakota just this year they had depredation tags on the prairie because there was too many um, farmers were complaining about their corn getting destroyed fences getting busted and things like that okay um, i'm kind of a greenhorn on that i just picked up that conversation while we were hanging out with uh, the rancher where we sure hunt. uh but difference uh about the elk herd in south dakota you must be a South Dakota resident to apply for the tag until fourth draw. So if by chance it makes it through every draw and there's a leftover tag, that would be the only chance for a, a, a non-resident to pick up a tag. Oh, wow. I didn't even realize there was a huntable population of elk in, in South Dakota. That's really cool. There's a very strong population in, huh. the, in the western hills. Uh, and then there's a, a couple of herds on the prairies along the river. Huh, that's great to know. I didn't I didn't realize that uh Iowa had a uh uh neighboring state where you could actually go hunt elk. <laughs> that's pretty cool. And do you guys have antelope there as well? 
Yep, um, the Prairie Speedsters. We, uh, antelope. We haven't hunted them for a couple of years now. We were just talking about getting some tags, and sure, you know, I'm I'm going to back up a step. I'm a I'm a father of three, and my twins are are three and a half years old. So Ooh, busy guy. <laughs> the hunting has been a tough thing when it's my life. I mean, it's my yes. daytime job is putting together videos, production, and then trying to get it out and get sponsorships. But having a uh, a set of twins that are three and a half. There, I danced the fine line of being a single man, trying to get everything fit in to be a dad, a ma, uh, you know, a, a husband, and and still try and grind out the daily daily work too. Yeah, yep, yeah. That's that's for sure. It's it's kind of the unique thing about hunting that makes it extra challenging, and where I think. Um, basically, as you said, we have to be really careful, you know, because it's easy to spend so much time doing it. I mean, you know, just as we were talking before the call, you know, it's been kind of a tough year of deer hunting. And, you know, one of the only ways to really kind of make anything remotely guaranteed in deer hunting is to just log those hours. And when you do, it's not like you can be doing two things at once while you're deer hunting. You know, there's, you can't, you can't be babysitting kids. You can't be, can't be uh, getting projects done around the house. You got to be there and you got to be solely focused. And the other hard part of that is there's a lot of dead time when you're hunting. I mean, where you aren't seeing anything and it can get the, the to-do list can start to creep up on your mind pretty good. So I, I definitely understand. Where, it, where, uh, you know, being a middle-aged male, that's a, that's a haunting fact. <laughs> no matter where you are, there's always something that needs to be done. Uh, yeah, it, it, it does. It eats at you. Yep, yep, for sure. Well, the main thing, as I said uh, uh, earlier when, when I was introducing you that I want to focus on tonight is hunting pheasants in South Dakota, you know, as a outsider here in, in Iowa. And, uh, you know, Iowa's got a, we have a good pheasant population here. Actually this year, uh, back in episode 19, we interviewed the state, uh, upland biologist for Iowa and, uh, just, just an incredible outlook for pheasant hunting this year in our state, but still nothing compared to, uh, uh, our neighbors up there to the northwest, and uh, so I, I just want to kind of approach this from the mindset of like a tourist or a standpoint of a tourist here, somebody who's who's maybe not even been to North or so, South Dakota and wants to get up there and chase after some of those some of those much coveted roosters that you guys have. So the thing that I kind of want to first lay down here is. As an outsider, when I do hear from somebody who's been up to South Dakota to hunt pheasants and maybe has that background experience of hunting in, let's say, Iowa or maybe Nebraska, you know, another, you know, states that are, they have decent pheasant hunting for sure. Uh, but when they go to South Dakota and they come back and they just talk about how incredible of an experience it is, do, do you feel that that South Dakota really separates itself like that from most other areas for pheasant hunting? Well, uh, South Dakota, I would say, has probably one of the strongest populations of the birds. 
you know, anywhere in the country. Yes, there's pockets of, of birds in, in North Dakota, in Oregon, in Iowa, Minnesota, and, you know, et cetera, right. all those other states. However, the habitat here is right. The temperatures are right. So the weather, so they, yep. um, back when we started hunting, there was a thing we said, habitat, habitat, habitat. You needed a habitat for for cover, habitat for food, and and habitat to sustain life so so food water and cover all in the right elements of what those birds can handle and that's why south dakota probably has one of the strongest populations okay yeah i'm not a biologist i'm um but i'm a realist and i can uh and i'm an observist let's put it that way where you can kind of look at everything and see what makes sense and 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 put it together sure sure yeah it it does all, you know, when we when we look at game population, not just pheasants, but, you know, deer, you know, for instance, you know, kind of as, as South Dakota is for pheasants, people look at Iowa the same way for whitetails. And, and you're right, it's just we're fortunate to have all those those right ingredients kind of fall together, you know. And, and honestly, one of the biggest differences for Iowa as far as the whitetail hunting goes is we just don't have the number of people that a lot of other good whitetail states do. So the deer are just less pressured and and uh, have less of those negative human interactions that they do in, in a lot of other states. And I got to imagine that's probably some of it too up in South Dakota, right? Just so much open space. Well, you know, I'm going to say just about anywhere you go in the country, no matter what game that you're after, you need to get an at least an hour away from any metro area. Yeah. So let's say let's take Sioux Falls, South Dakota's largest city, or let's take Rapid City, or you know Mitchell and Pier. You get a you get a little bit outside of that area, you start to see more wildlife. Uh, obviously, because of the pressure of the residents there. Right. Um, I grew up 20 miles from Sioux Falls. Uh, that's still where my parents live. Where sure. I. I work with my father, you know, five days a week and, you know, we're still not far enough to see those, those big populations of birds. Sure. Um, we have something that we call the pheasant belt. Um, that's kind of what I would say 50 miles, give or take either side of the river where the strongest population is. So the East river side and the West river side, uh, up and down the state, right through the center, is probably where you're going to find the the strongest population of birds. And then, and there's still a lot of birds, you know, up in northeastern part of the state. But getting away from the metro area, I believe, is the key. Okay, that's good. That's really good advice. So, if somebody's kind of looking at a map and they're like, okay, you know, maybe they draw their hour radius around all these uh, big metro areas, should they be looking to hunt? public ground or do you feel that public ground gets really overwhelmed in South Dakota? You know, the public ground does get, get hit pretty hard. I tell you what, um, we just spent about nine hours, uh, deer hunting today and we watched pheasants flying all over in public ground. Um, oh, really? <laughs> so it's hit or miss, obviously, yeah. you know, um, yep. Yep. That's early season is probably your best bet. Okay. Um, early season when crops are out, we'll say that's your best bet. You know, they're not stupid. Um, the ones that make it through the season 
understand the game as soon as they hear the car door. So they're, they're, they're not an easy bird to take. So you're going to probably see a lot more birds getting flushed than, than necessarily what's going in the back of your pickup. Right, right. That's a good point. So do residents kind of, do they have to wait for that early season uh, invasion <laughs> of all of us uh, out-of-staters who, um, uh, you know, probably, I assume, pour in right around that time of the opener or within the first few weeks of the opener? Um, do, or do they jump right in there with them and, uh, you know, are just chomping at the bit right at the beginning? You know, it's, you're going to have people on both sides of the fence. South Dakota is filled with entrepreneurs, good down home people, right? Right. And the, the most of those small business owners who run the gas stations, the mom and pop shops, the, the grocery stores in these little towns or, or, um, you know, these bed and breakfast, their best time of the year is that first few weeks of the season. So sure. welcoming some of the non-residents coming in and filling up those, those hotels or filling up those restaurants and, yeah. you know, or, you know, so I'm, you know, I'm not really sure how to answer that question. I feel the state needs that part of the economic impact to help all of those people in those smaller, uh, communities to get through um and typically they that's it's better than christmas week yeah yeah that's yeah i've heard south dakota run commercials on other channels and they talk about rolling out the red carpet for pheasant hunters and and um i've gotten that um and from watching other programs and stuff, I've gotten that idea or or that feeling that it is a very welcoming environment. Um, but from a touristy kind of standpoint, you know, you're almost in this, and it's it, again, you know, I can relate, but I can't relate with how whitetails are viewed here in Iowa. You know, people always are non-residents. You'll see them talk all the time. Oh yeah. I really want to go to, go to Iowa or, or even Illinois or whatever. In fact, um, a good friend of mine, a guy who's been on, on this podcast before he actually spent time, uh, fishing with, um, the crew from deadliest catch and uh out there in the yeah out there in the Bering Sea uh going after those Alaskan king crab and um he said all those guys uh would would want to ask him about was hunting whitetails in Iowa and Illinois you know here they are doing the 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 ultimate thing as an outdoorsman how we would all view it and that's what they want so i i understand a little bit you know how people want to come here and do this thing but on the other side of that Iowa has a, it's pretty tough to get a tag, especially a buck tag as a non-resident hunter. Whereas with pheasant hunting in, in South Dakota, something that's equally sought after anybody who's willing to lay down the money gets a, gets a license and gets to go hunt. So does it start to almost become kind of a sore subject for outdoorsmen in South Dakota who, you know, they're resident hunters. Does it, is it, is it kind of a point of contention maybe where people 
people acknowledge, yes, this is important for our economy, but they feel like, are we just totally uh, exhausting our, our resource here? I mean, what's what's kind of the vibe there that you get? Well, you know, there's, there's no matter what you look at, how you look at it, there's always going to be a couple of bad apples in that in that basket, sure. and that's going to give everybody a bad name. For the but that's not how every resident views it either. You sure. Know, obviously, if uh, if grandma just made all your cookies and the neighbor came over and ate them all and you didn't get any, <laughs> yeah. you'd be a little grumpy. So, um, <laughs> so the, I don't know how to really answer that question either. As far as most of the residents uh, welcome with open arms. I mean, we travel all over the country and and uh, to the same thing so so minnesota wisconsin western south dakota north dakota and it's kind of a tradition it's it's it you stay respectful i think that uh it other residents will will view that and and you know also see that and, and recognize it so i don't know if i'm answering your question or not uh, it's it's probably political views that i I don't want to say the wrong thing. And- no, that's that's totally understandable. The reason I ask you that is because I think it's important that um, we, as as hunters, when we do go across state lines, and and um, you know, it gets so easy to just kind of look at things with you know, we almost salivate as we <laughs> we do the internet searches. Oh, what's the tag price to go to this state and hunt this species? But I think it's important that we remember that when there is something nice like this and something special like pheasant hunting in South Dakota, we need to be good guests. And I I just wanted to kind of hit on that for a little bit, just that, you know, I really do plan to go up to South Dakota at some point. In fact, uh, my best friend goes up almost every year and he has a great time. Uh, But I, but I also know that when we do have something special like that, if it's, if we aren't careful, you know, we can almost ruin that. You, you see that in other areas where not from overhunting necessarily, but just being a bad guest. And so, uh, I guess I kind of wanted to get your, get your opinion on that. But if there was well, we'll one, mark that down is, is don't be the get bad guest. Yeah. Yeah. And so if, <laughs> if there was one thing that you wish non-residents would get right, more often what would be that one thing do you think you no know, this is going to almost sound a little i don't know if it's partial greedy or what is <laughs> uh pay attention to the roads and get out of the way sure you know that's the probably the number one complaint i've ever heard um from a farmer it's like i'm coming down the road and i gotta be somewhere and there's a truck parked in the middle of the road guys hanging out and uh and i need mm. to get through that's the yeah. only probably negative thing I could really think of off the top of my head, which isn't even horrible. It's just people, you know. Yeah, there's guys that got to get about their business. Making sure vehicles can get through. And, you know, a lot of uh, uh, South Dakota is, is really, really remote, and it's it's uh, it's hit or miss on some of that happening. But And I don't even know if that's even a huge issue, but I do know I have lots of farmer friends, and that's the only thing they ever say that they wish non-residents would do was pull over to the side of the road and get out of the way. That's so a good if they're tip. coming with their tractors, they're coming with their trailers or trucks, they don't have to slow down and and whatnot. Yeah, that's I'm glad I asked. That's a good that's a good thing to hear. And and we can 
I've I've been guilty of doing stuff like that. You know, you're you're driving slow, trying to scout out the area. Oh, that looks like a good spot over there. You know, yeah, that's a good that's a good thing to keep in mind. We get so tunnel tunnel vision on our vacation or whatever <laughs> well, that. We all do. Yeah, <laughs> so that's a that's a good way to be a be a good guest. So, but yeah, it it um it definitely is on my on my short list of places I want to get to to go go have uh, an a world-class experience really well networked i know a lot of a lot of good people and a lot of good places and uh depends on what you want to do it's all about managing expectations sure what do you expect to get out of it and uh, from both sides of the of of, you know the either the landowner or the lodge owner or the hotel it's it's all managing expectations and being very very black and white so that way there's there's no gray area and everybody knows what they're getting into no that's that's well said a lot of times we we go into things thinking that the only way we're going to be happy is if it works out exactly as we planned and then uh so few times in life does anything not just hunting but does anything work that way and we can really set ourselves up for disappointment and that's not that's not what it's about it's not about uh only filling a game bag it's about the whole the whole experience getting out of town and going to just uh see and experience the the reality of the situation and and um you know what makes that place so special so that's that's good advice well let's kind of uh shift the focus here from the you know expectation planning uh, how to be a good guest type conversation and let's let's just talk pheasants uh here in general how have the bird numbers really seemed to be doing here recently in you know, let's say the last well, five years. The last five years have been, I think, a, a, a bit of a struggle until the last two years. Okay. Now, what I feel is a huge contributor to that is habitat. Sure. All right. So we had some really, really, really wet rains last year. Okay. So what happened was there was lots of fields that didn't get planted, but they had lots of habitat for birds to uh, nest and hatch out their young and a place to go. So having that and then coming back into another year that was in parts of the state that were really wet, some of it was really dry, but uh, having two years back to back to having all that extra habitat brought the numbers of these birds back to what it needs to be to sustain a a healthy population. Now, again, I'm going to say I'm not a biologist, but I'm a realist, and I can look at a situation and say there's a lot of habitat here. That's why there's a lot of birds. Right. So do you feel um, that this this year in particular is kind of ripe for a major boom in harvest numbers? Hey, hope you're enjoying the show so far. So many interesting things about hunting pheasants in South Dakota. I really cannot wait to get a trip planned for myself. But until then, I'll be hunting the beautiful prairie ground here in my home state of Iowa. Now, if you're like me, you have a couple of bird dogs, or at least one bird dog, and uh, they're trained pretty well, but you're definitely not an expert dog trainer and you definitely don't put enough time in to have the world's most finished bird dog. 
So, what happens is, kind of like the first time you show up to shoot clay pigeons after a long off-season, you're a little rusty. Well, the same thing can happen with our dogs. They can get a little tough to manage. They're all wound up. Of course, they remember what they're doing as far as, yeah, they. I really love running around and uh, sniffing every new scent that I haven't visited since last year and having this job to do and uh, you know all the distracting things that probably run through our dogs heads and what happens is they can be kind of tough to manage they don't listen as closely they aren't so worried about what your commands are and you can quickly go from having a invaluable helper that will make this hunt possible to a distraction that will literally ruin the hunt. Your dog will be working way too far ahead of you, flushing every bird way out of range, and uh, just overall ruining the hunt. So what I recommend doing is getting a remote collar. Now, there's ways to really expertly use those things for the best dog training tools out there. And if that's what you're interested in and using the right dog training protocol as perfectly as possible with remote uh, training, then by all means, seek out those resources. But if you're like me, use it this way. Those first few hunts, make sure your dog has one of those collars on. That way, if they start working too far ahead, the wind's blowing hard and they're so wound up that there's no chance of them ever hearing your voice, you can give them a little bump. Now keep it low, but enough to get their attention and enough for them to be reminded that, hey, I'm here for somebody other than just myself. Then you can help maintain that right distance. You can have them close enough for calls. You can check and see their body language if they're, they find a bird or getting close to a bird. All those really important things that we need to have happen when we're out pheasant hunting. So be sure to check out some kind of remote dog training collar and use that to your advantage for those earliest days of pheasant hunting when you're shaking off the rust now back to part two of the show with mr jeff boer I would say there's a very good possibility of that. The state has claimed the birds are up uh, to to great numbers. I don't know what that percentage was. I never really pay attention to whatever the state was. I pay attention to what I see in my own two eyes. If I'm driving down the road and I see the birds, you know, that's what I go off of. Sure. But, you know, and I'm, and I'm, I love to pheasant hunt. I love all hunting, but I don't die hard have to get out. I mean, we have so many other things that we can do. We'll pheasant right. hunt a couple of times a year because we're duck hunting, goose hunting, dove hunting, trying to catch in the, that fall walleye bite. Yeah. We're getting some um, some smallies, and then we got uh, archery uh, and our high power seasons going on right now. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I hear you for sure. So um, has COVID seemed to kind of slow down the flow of non-residents into the state this year? Well, what uh, I have some of my really good friends are, are lodge owners and do commercial hunting operations. Uh, what they noticed was the corporate style hunts are down. Okay. 
so the large corporates uh, taking some clients out to have fun, right? Um, those those type of things were down. And I tell you what, if if there's any corporate people out there and they want to entertain a group of people and really get to know them, I don't think there's any better way than to step in the field with somebody to know who they are and what they're about. Um, so if you're trying to create uh, friendships or um, financial or business partners, the, I, that's a really good way to, to, to see what somebody's really made of. Yeah, that's that's a great tip. Great advice. Yeah. You know, so often we can get stuck in a rut for things like that, you know, where, <laughs> oh, this, this is what we always do with our clients or, you know, maybe even it's it's uh, you're trying to recruit somebody for a position or something that and trying to build that relationship. And, you know, we try our normal tactics, but sometimes going way outside of the box, like saying, hey, let's go. uh chase some roosters or maybe even uh, go right. ca- catch that walleye bite like you're saying you know that's a that's good advice and you and you're right when we see people interacting in that way having fun um responding to disappointment <laughs> and successes <laughs> you know that's that that's pretty telling of a person's character so it's i like that it's pretty tip. crazy that you say disappointment and successes because you have all of this anticipation or anticipation that that really comes down to only a few seconds of ecstasy. Yes. Yep. You know, and I'm not saying pulling the trigger is the only ecstasy there is, but it's the accomplishment of what it took to get to that or that hook set or whatever it may yeah. be. Uh, but uh, that possibility of that is what brings you out here, and you know, and, and starts it from the beginning. Like we started off uh, as like the fun starts when you're planning your hunt or your yeah. fishing trip and who you're going to spend your time with. Yep. Yep. Definitely. The best part of vacation is planning for vacation. <laughs> and as soon as, <laughs> yeah. as soon as the clock starts and you've, you've pulled out of the driveway, you're, you're instantly thinking, Oh, this vacation is trending towards an end. <laughs> so it's, right. that's, that's uh, very true. Well, if somebody um, does manage to make it out to uh, South Dakota, what's their best bet going to be as far as, um, uh, you kind of mentioned this pheasant belt area, and we talked about getting outside of those major metro areas. But is there like a general region of the state that is that is really kind of the the prime area to look for? You can go from the north or the south to the north border of of the state. Pick anything within fifty miles of either side of it. You're probably going to have a pretty good time. Okay. Now, like I said, there's still lots of good areas. I mean, Aberdeen and Brown County is good. Uh, there's a few other areas um, from there, and even west over to uh, Mobridge. I mean, you're getting you're you're starting to get into a lot more rural areas of the state, right? Uh, and seeing more habitat and obviously more birds. I mean, there's there's reasons why you you see more. Sure. Um, so if you were gonna you're gonna pick that, I could say. Anywhere from that uh, that Yankton to Chamberlain to kind of Pier Mulbridge area. Okay, that's that's good advice. Yeah, I I think we can get so caught up on um, just one place or you know what feels safe. Well, what feels safe is being close to a big city that's got plenty of hotels and plenty of restaurants and stuff like that. But it's good to hear 
you know, some of those rural places that you might not otherwise know about without hearing from a local. So that's good to hear that advice. Now, when somebody plans to go to one of those areas, I'm going to guess that this is probably, you know, if we're talking to somebody who's just, you know, middle class, this is, you know, they certainly have the money to go on the trip and, and uh, everything, but they, you know, it's not like they can necessarily pay for, you know, the, the nicest, most luxurious uh, outfitter and, and, you know, that whole uh, experience. So if, if we're talking your everyday guy, who's probably going to be staying at a, uh, you know, a uh, Marriott in the, (laughs) in the evenings or a red roof Inn or something like that, um, is the best progression as far as finding hunting ground is it to start at public see how public is then maybe start knocking on doors or would you recommend trying to find you know yeah you'll probably have to spend a little bit more money but it's it's just by far worth it to try and find an outfitter or some kind of local guide that can uh hook you up with some right. properties. If you want to start off, if you're going to go that route, um, in my opinion, you are best to do a little research. Just like anything in life, there's good ones and bad ones. Sure. So you want to, uh, um, everybody seems to know somebody that has, has been pheasant hunting or been to South Dakota to pheasant hunt. And that's probably a good place to, to start asking your buddies. Um, sure. Throwing something out on social media, you know, networking to find out. It's like, hey, what did you do? What did you like? Every time I do something new or try something new, I learn what I'm not going to do next time, (laughs) you know? So uh, it's it's, it's a learning curve. Uh, But if you're coming in green, you're probably right. I would suggest finding somebody, somebody that's reputable or somewhere that somebody you know has been, and then branch out from there. So you could maybe learn the area with somebody and then find some public ground or something like that and, and then get out and, and, and do something on your own. So let's say you're going to do a five day trip and that's what the South Dakota licenses are good for, I believe, or five days okay. um, having, uh, uh, either a trespass fee or finding somebody that can take you out on one day hunts and no, uh, or all inclusive. It kind of depends on where your pocket wants to go and managing expectations once again. Um, but you know, having somebody that can take you and show you around is much easier than in going in blind. Sure. Yeah. Everybody could pick up a Onyx or a satellite imagery and be like, Oh, this looks like a great place. Well, it might be, but uh, it might also be the local hotspot that gets, you know, you know, beat to that. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think you're right. Especially when you're going to go out of your way to get the out of state license to, you know, there, South Dakota is not really on the way to somewhere else. So most people are going <laughs> to, they're going to be investing a fair amount of drive, drive time and, and hotel costs to get there. To me, it's worth it to try and spend, you know, the extra several hundred dollars and, you know, connect well, with somebody you know, who can, can help you out. We can kind of change the, the perspective on how we're going to look at that. Commercial hunting and commercial fishing has been either, you know, 
uh, how do I want to say this? There, there's always been a little bit of negativity towards some of that because everybody said, well, when I was growing up, I could go over to the neighbors. Yeah, yes, you could. Yes, you would, you know, whatnot. However, I'm, a, I'm sitting next to one of my, my better friends here, and, and he's got a, a boat, right? Sure. Okay, I don't have a boat like he does. However, he's making that boat payment. Okay, right. so if I didn't... If I'm not making that four or five hundred dollar a month boat payment, and you break that down, and you're spending six seven thousand dollars a year just to own that boat, you know, maybe two hundred bucks a day doesn't sound so bad. Yeah, yeah, you know, right. So there's a way to break that down, and that's the same with pheasant hunting. There's there's lots of uh, of of day hunt people out there that are pretty good and have great access to stuff, um, and, and could take care of you. Yeah, yeah, I. I think that's good advice for sure, for sure. So, um, when, when people do get there, what are they going to see as far as terrain goes? I know that it's similar in many ways, for instance, to where I'm at, but there's also some major differences as well. I've driven through South Dakota several times, uh, but I haven't really spent any uh, real significant time there other than, you know, kind of doing the Black Hills uh, and and rapid city area type stuff but it, where these pheasants are at is it mostly you know what we would classify as crp type grasses these native grassland areas that that uh well, you're going through or is there a lot of water some some timber patches things like that well typically the you're not going to find birds in big timber um, they're not grouse or right. anything like that. Or, um, so do they exist there? Yes, they do. But I wouldn't say in large numbers. Now, when you get into some of the smaller trees, like maybe some of the evergreens that maybe six, eight, ten foot tall, mm-hmm. um, and you have pockets like that. Yeah. You know, typically on a blizzardy day and you want to go find some birds, they're probably going to be tucked in some really thick cover getting out of the wind. Yeah. You know, just from like preparing for terrain stuff, should people be mostly prepared for themselves and their dogs to be be basically going gotcha. through waist high grass most of the time, or do they need to be it's ready to a be wet? Bit of everything, and it depends on the time of the year. You know, early season they're typically in the grasses, and as you start to chase them more and more, they get pushed into thicker cover. Um, the more crops come out, the dr- sloughs dry up, and you could be pushing cattails or um, stuff like that. But South Dakota really has all four of the seasons or the f- types of habitat that the whole country has. We have the plains, which is the farm ground. We have um, the river breaks and the, the prairies, and then we have the desert and the mountains. So, sure. Uh, and then, you know, everything in between. So it really pick uh, determines what area of the state you pick that you want to try and target to what you want to prepare for. And then, you know, also bringing in dogs. Uh, uh, you get along the river and then to the western side of the river, you need to make sure there's snake broke. Um, you know, we do oh, have okay. some rattlesnakes and things like that. So um, when we say South Dakota is extremely diverse, I don't really know how you can fit that all into a couple of sentences <laughs> or even an hour interview right here to try and describe right. what we all have here and the opportunities that are available. Yeah, definitely. That <laughs> I didn't even think of that, the rattlesnake issue. Yeah, that's that's definitely something you got to be uh, prepared for. Yeah. Um, so you kind of started to, to lead it this way and I definitely wanted to, to hit on this. 
When I talk to people about pheasant hunting here in Iowa, I generally break it down into three phases. I talk about the early season and kind of like what you mentioned earlier in this interview where, you know, there's that kind of that sweet spot early season crops are out. So the birds are, you know, a little bit more uh, condensed into the available habitat at that point. But then I classify a mid-season. Birds have been pressured pretty well at this point. They're a little more jumpy. Got to be more quiet when you're hunting and, and that kind of thing. And then late season where, you know, there's probably some snow, definitely really low temperatures. Birds are are piled back up, kind of like you talked about with the evergreen situation. Do, do you break down South Dakota season kind of the same way? I do, and I hunt two of the three. Okay. Probably I'll the same the two I do. <laughs> and I'll hunt the late season because I'm busy deer hunting during the middle season. Sure. Yep. <laughs> yep. And essentially, if you if you were a father, son, or a three generation, let's say father, son, and grandpa wanting to get out and do something simple, I'd probably target more of the early season. You get into the middle season, the push, birds are getting pushed. They're a little leerier, then it's a little bit tougher. And then you get into the late season, you might want to consider bringing another five guys with you so you can surround an area and then then go in. So all of the hunting, just like any other style of chasing big game, small game, there's a strategy. It's not just, uh, well, let's go walk this ditch and, and shoot some birds. You know, you got to consider right. all of the, the elements that are in there. Which way do you want to push the birds? Which way do you, uh, is the wind blowing and things like that? So it comes down to just being smart and attacking it from the best angle that you can using your educated guess or, you know, um, taking all of those elements into consideration. Yeah, I agree with that for sure. You know, one of the reasons and you're spot on with deer season being during that mid season time frame, it just keeps us so busy then. But I have found that pheasant hunting can just be downright difficult during that mid season uh, time because they aren't all piled up in the thickest cover yet. They're still pretty well spread out, but just the effect of that pressure has had on the birds at that point. Is that kind of the same way in South Dakota, or is there just so much available habitat that birds don't really feel the pressure quite as much? Oh, they feel the pressure. You go pull into a, a, a field that has birds into it and slam your car door, you'll see the pressure. Okay. You know? Yeah, yeah, they start so, flushing. But, yeah. I mean, the further you go on in the year, the less habitat there is. Whether there might be farmers in the field tilling up, uh, you know, the draws so they can dry out in the spring and still get the planting in. Uh, and that, you know, as you go on through the season, there's less and less and less. And then as the seasons change and snow hits the ground, uh, that fills up some of the short grasses and it's going to be pushed into the taller, thicker cover. Yeah, that, that makes sense. So, with the late season, one of the things I notice here in Iowa... And we, again, we don't get the draw of non-resident pressure here near as much as, as you guys do. But on opening day, it's pretty well crazy here in Iowa. One year, my buddy and I, we tried hunting this public piece and, you know, we got out there early and we got one of the available parking areas on this relatively big piece of public ground. And uh, there, there just wasn't much parking and man, trucks were just humming back and forth on the gravel road out there people like you know trying to get elbow into any spot they could but after that first weekend it just generally slows down and by the late season there's almost zero competition you know you go out everyone the only people out in the woods at that point are 
waterfowl people or uh, late season deer hunters, and it just seems that that uh, pheasant hunting is pretty much shut down in Iowa once that late season rolls around. Is that the same case in South Dakota? Well, you know, typically a lot of the clients that are coming to South Dakota may be fair weather. Now, I don't want to make fun of anybody or or, or call them uh, unseasoned per se, uh, but I mean, once the temperature gets cold, that's when you see less people coming in. So the strong points are going to be the latter half of October, November, and then once you start getting into December, things change. Um, That cold air is kind of cold, and it's a lot colder than you want it to be (laughs) when it's hitting your face, you know? Um, And when the snow is hitting the ground, and, and, and... South Dakota is notorious for wind. Today we had, I believe it was 30-plus mile-an-hour gusts of wind here and there. So, I mean, the deer didn't want to cooperate with us. And, um, you know, sitting out there with uh, a little bit of snow or blowing snow and those those little pieces of ice hitting your face is not fun. Right. Um, Now, you're going to have the hardcore guys that are going to go out no matter what. And that typically ends is me the late season hunts that we uh, kind of put on or are a part of we've hunted in 80 degrees and we've hunted in negative 14 so oh, it's wow. so crazy <laughs> on how things can change um, um throughout the season um yeah, you know i would attribute as the weather gets colder less people come in and it starts to shut down i sure. did know that they it looked like this year the season's running a little bit longer um January 31st. So it is going okay. considerably longer this year. Um, please make sure that you double check anybody listening to the, the podcast. Make sure wherever you're going that that's open in that day till that time. So don't don't yeah. hold me to yeah, that. Definitely. Yep. Everyone check. And that that goes for any episode. Whenever we throw these dates out there, you know that's off. That's off of the off of our best memory usually. And and whenever you plan on something, always always do the. Do the extra legwork and make sure those dates are correct. That's for sure. So would you, so let's, we'll just use the example of my situation here. So, you know, I'm busy hunting whitetails still through, you know, October, November, maybe pheasant hunt a couple times down here then, but I'm probably going to be really focused on filling those deer tags until, uh, you know, deer season wraps up, which is, you know, the usually the second weekend or so of January, I think is when that season closes and pheasant season always closes right at that same time. Would it be worth my while to say, well, you know, Iowa hunting is done here until spring Turkey. I'm going to head up to South Dakota and take advantage of their last two weeks. I'll try and find that five day window there where I can get my license and, and get the dogs out or would you say because of unpredictability of weather, um, uh, maybe even some of those back roads getting tough to travel because of ice and snow, being able to keep dogs in good health and warm and stuff like that, would the hassle almost outweigh the benefits? Or do you think that, no, if you want a chance to get in on some really good hunting and maybe have some of these public places uh, to yourself, it would be worth it for me to try and head up there in those, you know, third, fourth well, week. Know, it's always hit or miss. And like I said before, it's what it, you always learn what you're not going to do the next year, right? Or right. the next time yeah. you go do it. Yeah. No, you, you're never going to be able to predict the weather. So that's, that's one thing. Um, 
yes, you were probably going to see less people in some of the public and whatnot uh, later in the season. You know, we're, we're fair weather people too. And um, if I would suggest if you want to come late season and you are green, find some way or somewhere to get a foot in the door to maybe to have a day or two of somebody taking you out. Okay. Um, sure. You know, a lot of that stuff is going to be going to be probably pushed and a lot of the public ground is the prairie grasses, which could be full of snow and they're not going to hold any birds. Yeah. So there, we're, we're too vague on the questions to be able to give specific answers. I think. <laughs> no, no, that's, that. I think I get what you're saying. You, if you're going to go out of your way to go up there, you want to make sure you have a solid plan. And, and a lot of that has to do with more than just weather and, you know, availability of, of hunting space, so to speak on, on these public pieces. And, and that's the same way here in, in Iowa too. The birds, the late season's good. If you know where the birds are going to pile up, then it's great. But Oh, I love the late season is my favorite time to hunt, even though we're bundled up and we're, you know, four layers of clothing and sweating underneath and freezing on the outside. And, <laughs> yep. Yep. Uh, but I, there's, there's times that are there's those epic memories that you just like any height of any sport that you've ever done like the epic moment the slam dunk or anything like that those basketball the home run or the grand slam let's say or the power play i don't you know all of these epic moments can happen at any moment or any time in there so late season has something special in that uh when you see a flush there's a good chance there could be a crazy flush um i have been a part of what we would call thousand bird flushes we hit a field and it just erupts and it doesn't stop for 15 minutes and you just you you get to the point to where you're like i don't even know what to shoot at anymore and (laughs) and by the time you're picking out birds it's too late because they're already 50 yards behind you because you're going hen 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 oh there dang it that was a rooster so that's something special that late season can offer. Okay. And, uh, you know, because the birds are going to pile up. Right, right. Yeah, I think that's good advice. I definitely understand what you're saying there. You need to know, you need to have that local knowledge, basically, in order to in order to, to make a late season trip worth it. Yeah, if it's something you're going to do annually, every time you go, you learn something new, you pick up a new place that you can check out, or you find something that was kind of neat, and uh, you can exploit that a little bit uh, from you know in, in future ad- adventures. Yeah, that's good advice, and that's a you know time saving advice. And one of the things, and, and Brandon and I, my co-host Brandon, who couldn't be here with us tonight, uh, we're going to talk about this at some point in another episode. But a big part of when you're going to hunt a new area is freezing up so to speak you know you get there and you mentioned you know you can use these aerial scouting methods by looking at onyx or or um hunt wise or you know whatever even google earth but when you get there and it's not quite what you thought it was going to be you can almost get this paralysis by analysis situation you're like oh that kind of looks good that kind of looks good and you start wasting time you know flip-flopping and and not getting settled in so i totally agree with you your first few trips up there i think it would be very wise uh to to get in contact with somebody and maybe not somebody who's no necessarily a bona fide hunting guide or hunting service but you know somebody who 
also likes to hunt and they, you know, maybe they were an old college roommate or something or, or maybe you know somebody who doesn't hunt, but know somebody that does and they can get you in contact. Probably like anything that you do in life, you get out yeah. of it what you put into it. Right. And, and I think that's one of the great things about the hunting community is for the most part, again, we, you got bad apples everywhere that can kind of sour outlooks on the rest of the group. But for the most part, I think hunters are pretty uh, willing to offer some helpful suggestions or some help Hunting when asked. Hunting the outdoors is my life. I mean, that's how I, how I live. So I want to see the sports grow. I want to see people have good times. I'm yes. over the jealousy. I'm done with it. Yeah. You know, yep. I don't, I don't have to shoot the biggest buck, but I'm still going to chase the biggest buck. You know, I don't have to catch the biggest walleyes, but I'm still going to chase them, you know? Yeah. Um, and when somebody else catches or, or, or shoots that, you know, I'm happy for them. Yeah. It's kind of the evolution of the hunter, you know? Yeah. I'm a parent and I want to see my kids have a good time. And they're kind of that point. They want to catch as many fish as they can. They want to shoot as many (laughs) birds as they can. And and that's all. And, and I'm going to assume they're going to graduate from that too here before long. And, you know, my oldest is 14 years old. He loves to take others with, you know, Um, that's awesome. We, we, we uh, run a nonprofit. It's called kids. It's K K I D S pronounced kids. Um, and mm-hmm. that stands for keeping kids in outdoor sports. He's 14 years old, have been able to hold a legal license for two years, and he's already asking if he can be a mentor and guide for kids that are coming up oh, wow. next year. That's you know, awesome. Like, That's kind of a proud daddy moment. Yeah, like, you're doing something right. <laughs> into this for two years, and he's like, well, Dad, I get more opportunities than, than any of my friends at school, and you know, I think it'd be fun to take them. You know, when we started, I was a basketball coach um, for his school, too, and for his team. So basketball boys are starting to want to come or go fishing and here and there. So it's, 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 it's a really big networking thing and getting these kids involved. I believe that the doom and gloom in the media today that says all of these things are on a decline, I, I kind of want to refuse to believe it. You know, if if we were to take 10 kids fishing and show them a good time, I would bet you nine out of 10 would say, you know, I'd like to do that again. Yeah. I believe it's a lack of recruitment in today's uh, sportsmen's uh, getting involved and actually taking somebody. You know, I yeah. tell all of my friends, if you could take one new person every year hunting or fishing or doing this sport, uh, everybody t- invites one person, the, the sport doubles. Yeah. yeah. You know, You're right. and that, how much effort does that really take? Not very much. You're right. Yeah, very well said. Well, that's what First Gen Hunter is all about. And, of course, if Brandon was here, he'd tell you that's what Hunt Fish Life is all about. And uh, it's great to know that there's uh, another uh, guy out there who's really taken on that mission. And it sounds like he even started that nonprofit. And, of course, uh, just through the work of of volunteering in the community and, and um, bringing kids out from school and basketball teams and everything, that is just tremendous. And and you're right. You're, you're 100% right. We can get to that point where we're so jealous about having to have it for ourselves or um, – you know, having, always having the, the best or the upper hand or, or whatever. And when we do, um, we hurt the sport and the more we, we, uh, hurt the sport, we end up hurting our own opportunities down the road as well. So I think, um, I think you're very wise with, with your assessment on how, how, uh, we as hunters need to be acting towards each other and towards bringing other people aboard with us. So, 
With with that being said, Jeff, would you uh, take a moment here just to kind of tell everybody about your channel that you have there with uh, Wild Dakota yeah. TV? Yeah, sure. I mean, we we have just been kind of exploring with all kinds of things. But back in 2003, we started uh, a kind of a dream, and, and we called, came up with a name and called it Wild Dakota. Now, the uh, what the, is the common misconception is Wild Dakota is not necessarily a place to go, it's a frame of mind to be in. Hmm. Wild is in natural state, untamed or undomesticated. Dakota means friends, family, allies, or strong warriors. So it's a frame of mind, uh, be in natural state and do that with your friends and family. So that's the definition sure. of who we are. Um, 2003, so we're looking at 2021 here, we're 17 years into filming, producing, uh, hunting and fishing television. And then That's that awesome. is involved into some of the social media platforms with, uh, our Facebook, our Instagram, our YouTube. And, uh, I think that's most of them. Um, so to find us there, um, yeah. everything we have, every handle is wild Dakota TV, no spaces. So you can find us on any of those platforms. Sure. Um, we could grow, we're trying to grow those accounts. So like subscribe, follow, uh, whatever you can do to help us yes. out would be greatly appreciated. Um, yes, that's like I said, that's our livelihood sponsors pay attention to that. And if we're not growing or not doing our thing, um, so there's that. So we've got wild Dakota TV is all our social media handles. Wilddakota.com is our, our, um, website. And then on top of that, we have the nonprofit, which is kids, KKIDS, keeping kids in outdoor sports. And that's so 17 years doing Wild Dakota. This was our 10th year of our 11th year of doing kids. So awesome. I will, I will include links to all of these things that Jeff mentioned uh, in the show notes and make sure, as Jeff said, you, you uh, subscribe to their channels. Uh, interact with them you know i'm sure they'd love to see comments on on uh, their videos and and pictures they share from their experiences and and um definitely uh, uh subscribe and and like as much as uh you can find out there and um jeff i just want to thank you one more time for coming on it's uh, honestly you know i've been for years now dreaming about doing the South Dakota thing. And after a talk with you, it sounds like it's more of a possibility than ever before. So I really appreciate you uh, giving up some time and, and just providing this excellent information that makes this a reality for, I'm sure, far more than just myself. Well, I, I hope that's true. And you guys have a great time. I want to appreciate the time to actually come and talk. And, and I hope we get the chance to talk again. And uh, it is what it is. And I'm looking across the room here and my roommates and deer camp are ready to turn lights off. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, I hear you. That's uh we, we appreciate you uh, giving up some of your time. Good luck in the morning. I hope that uh giant that you've been uh, dreaming about comes walking out in front of you tomorrow. All right. We'll talk soon. Yep. Take care. Man, anyone else now reconsidering your late January shed hunting plans? I'm thinking I might need to extend my hunting season a little bit. Maybe I can even get our favorite Delawarean 
out to the Midwest here to join me. Well, whether or not I get there this year, I'm definitely going at some point, and I hope today's interview with Jeff inspired you as well. Be sure you check them out on all their uh, channels that Jeff listed in the uh, end of the interview here, and also you'll find those links in the show notes. Please also check out thehuntfishlife.com, link up with them on social media, Instagram, Facebook, and uh, check out their store. they got all kinds of great gear that make for a great early Christmas shopping. Got to start thinking about your uh, naughty and nice list. Make sure you uh, get some fresh Hunt Fish Life gear for all those people that make it onto both of those lists. Yeah, it's good for everybody. Finally, check out the stuff that yours truly puts out there at firstgenhunter.com. Link up on Instagram, Facebook, Go Wild, subscribe on YouTube, like, comment, leave reviews. All of it is great. All of it is what makes this show possible. So thankful for each and every one of you again. I hope you had a tremendous Thanksgiving with your family. Still a few months left of uh, the heart of the hunting season. And if you haven't tagged out yet, haven't bagged the bird, maybe you haven't even gone on your best hunting trip yet. I wish you all the best. And I hope that it's the most fulfilling season that you've had yet. And then it'll be time to be thinking about 2021. So again, have a great rest of your Thanksgiving. And take care and take someone hunting.